Welcome to Season 2 of American Political History, The Second Wave, Covenants. In 1628, the newly formed Massachusetts Bay Company received its charter from King James. The charter gave them the rights to settle north of Plymouth and south of New Hampshire Charter. The Massachusetts Bay Company then sent 500 settlers to stake their claim in the New World. The Massachusetts Bay Company had designs on making a Puritan commonwealth in the New World. They only sent Puritan families in this first set, who qualified as sound in their mind and confession. They would rename the area of Namkeg to Salem, which meant peace in Hebrew, and around 150 of the 500 initial settlers would split off from Salem founding the town of Charlestown. It's always a wise tactic in a time of patronage, to name your towns after the king, or soon-to-be king of the realm. In 1629, before leaving for the New World, the stockholders of the Massachusetts Bay Company had a legal trick up their sleeves. They would meet in London and propose that future stockholder meetings, along with the original, and only, copy of the charter be transferred to the colony itself. They claimed this was for bureaucratic efficiencies to have it located directly with the colonists but it would be the first in a long line of disguised tactics that were built to erect barriers against the bureaucratic interference of London. Moving the only copy of the charter sounds mundane today in the time of scanners and email and internet, but in the 17th century, a voyage across the Atlantic would take months and be very dangerous. Now, this wouldn't protect from an edict by the king to change, revoke, or alter the charter, but an English court magistrate would not even have the charter in hand to review if there were ever objections to this charter. It gave them the protection from the courts and was a brilliant legal trick to avoid possible problems down the road. The Puritan leaders also pledged to immigrate in large numbers to America in the following year, and they voted John Winthrop as the new governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. The Puritans viewed this exodus to the New World in a few biblical stories. The first was that the New World had the promise to be a new Jerusalem, where there would be a peace and prosperity for those who hold their covenants to God. They would have some basic Democratic-Republican representation and a commonwealth based on mutual communal charity. The second analogy they used was the biblical story of the city Philippi in the GNC. It was a city founded by the Macedonians and then conquered by the Romans, but more importantly, it was the first location in Europe to hear the gospel of Christ. A simple, modest mission established in 49 CE by the Apostle Paul would eventually spread the word that overpowered the very Roman Empire, turning them from pagan views to the word of God. The Great Seal of Boston has the quote, come over and help us, which was the same calling that Paul had followed when he went to found the first European monastery to Christianity, in Philippi. The Puritans simultaneously saw the new world as an opportunity for freedom to build their community and the calling of spreading the word of God to the new world inhabitants. The Puritans faced tumultuous times in England. The growth of the crown supported Catholic practices left many Puritans feeling they lived a life within another culture. Some of the Puritans made this immigration to New England, but most would remain in England, 
praying for those taking on this mission in the new world. The Puritans viewed God as working through covenants, and this was true for individuals as well as countries. England had prospered when King Henry had rejected Catholicism. England was saved against the Spanish Armada when Queen Elizabeth pulled closer to that covenant. But now England sought the wrath of God, with the failings of King James and Charles to observe the covenants to God. Puritans are famously remembered for their Puritan views on fun. Their personal covenants to God were just as important to them. The Massachusetts Bay Colony would forbid smoking, drinking, cards, dice playing, singing, dancing. The term Puritan was first used by the Church of England as a negative moniker for this group of Protestants who took their rules too seriously. So the Puritans said yes and adopted that moniker and said we are and I personally hope to be pure about God and our covenants to God. That is the most important calling in life. The demographics of the immigrating Puritans was more in line with the pilgrims, but the project was as large as Jamestown. The population would have initially mixed genders, a third female to a male population, and around one-third of the population would be under the age of 14. These were mostly families from the middling classes of England, farmers, craftsmen, skilled labor, almost all Puritans chasing this holy calling. The Puritans would build a ship for the Exodus to fit a thousand people to New England and fill it with all of these farmers and brickmakers and carpenters and soldiers and shipwrights. They would bring with them seeds for apples, currants, quinces, cherries, hemp, and flax, along with cattle, dogs, pigs, horses, rabbits, and tame turkeys. They would also bring mastiffs, dogs of war, and artillery to install into a defensive fort. They had heard about the wars in Jamestown and they would build their forts for both inland attackers and seagoing vessels. The goal was to send one main group that could quickly become self-sufficient. They would bring as many skilled tradesmen as possible, so they quickly could start making their own commodities within New England. As the people gathered at the docks to board the ships, most were filled with anxiety, having never even been on a boat, let alone a sailing across the Atlantic Ocean. The leaders of the Pilgrims' Movement would make famous sermons that day to fill the devoted with faith and bless this voyage from England. Cotton Mathers would read from Samuel chapter 2, verse 10, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel. I will plant them, and they may dwell in peace on their own and move no more. Mathers was making an analogy that, like the biblical story, the Puritans had lawful reasons and justifications to abandon England. And by God's blessing, they had divine reason to occupy these empty lands in the new world. And he also encouraged them to free the Indians with their spiritual example and to go forth with public spirit. Look out not only for yourself, but for the self of others. And this was the spirit of the commonwealth, a spirit of a community for each other that would be formed by Puritan beliefs. And Mathers reminded them, that God is more likely to bless a people when they become stalwarts of righteousness. God promised them durable position in the world, and they shall have the quiet peace they seek. They would be a new chosen people, God's people. But remember, if you rebel against God, the same God that put you there can root you out of there. Do not break your covenant with God. For if you do, expect his wrath. 
And then John Winthrop spoke. And where Cotton Mathers had reassured the listeners of their calling and embraced them with the devotion that keep their covenant, Winthrop would instead focus on what the calling was. He defined the task that they would face in a reasoned way. First, he spoke of Christian charity, of Christian love, a society holding its wealth in common. Hence, this new world would be a commonwealth. And in this commonwealth, that society would have economic inequality, of course, and equality of social rank, of course. But there would be no inequality of value. Each member would be equally valuable in God's eyes. And so it shall be that the commonwealth's duty to God was to value each life within equally. All would be done within the commonwealth for the common good of the people there. And he divined two covenants that they were making to God. The first covenant is of justice. Man is commanded to love thy neighbor as himself. On this precept will stand all reasoning of the commonwealth's moral laws, and every man is to afford his to another in their time of distress. The second covenant is that of mercy. They had become the chosen of the Lord. When God gives a special covenant, he looks to have it observed in every article. God will expect a strict performance from the Puritans in Massachusetts or the Lord will break out in wrath. We must grieve together, mourn together, always having before our eyes our unity's common works to God. And then he gave the most famous line that has been echoed through American history. For we must consider that we shall be a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us, so that if we shall deal falsely with our God on this work we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his help from us, we shall be made a story by word through the world. We shall open the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God, and all professors for God's sake we shall shame and cause their prayers for us to be turned into curses upon us, until we be consumed out of the good land where we are going. The conviction for purpose was now so strong that not one person pulled out of this voyage to the new world, and on March 20th, 1630, the boats left port for the Massachusetts Bay Colony. The Plymouth Colony in New England, when it was founded, had many deaths in the first year. They referred to those as the trying times, and the Massachusetts Bay Company officials had reviewed these stories and thought they had learned the lessons of the Pilgrim's failure. But pride is a funny thing that can blind you from the obvious. The Puritans thought by having a planned array of needed skilled labor that they had solved the problem of the trying times. The Puritans did have the advantage that they would be settling in early summer instead of winter like the pilgrims, and after receiving reports from Salem that lands were so fertile that they barely needed to be cleared. Although not implicitly said in that comment, there was an implication that the pilgrims' problem was in work ethic. You know, like what the Merchant Adventurers Company had said about the pilgrims. But the Massachusetts Bay officials were simply wrong in their assessment. They didn't understand the effects of the initial years of seasoning or the difficulties they would face settling a land that they didn't even understand anything about. When the main Puritan ships arrived in Salem, they found a settlement a year in that was almost destroyed. Out of the 350 people that settled Salem, only 50 remained alive, 
and those living could be described as only weak and sickly, living in huts and hovels. Tensions arose as the colonists in Salem expected relief from these boats, and the immigrants on the boats expected to be supplied from this vanguard colony. Salem had perhaps a week worth of food supplies for 50 people, nothing close to supplying 1,000 people. The Massachusetts Bay leadership replaced Salem's government and began to search for spots that they could land the whole population and plant any sort of crops. Though they didn't know it yet, they had already missed the planting season in New England. And fevers started to take hold that summer to a population unaccustomed with the biome of the New World. The sickness would become so widespread that the colony lacked the manpower within that first year to even pull the cannons off the boats. Worried? Perhaps with a touch of paranoia of a possible attack from Catholic forces, Governor Winthrop decided not to concentrate all the population in one area of Salem. After a few months, they found a suitable spot, and it even had its own natural water spring. Winthrop named this settlement Boston, after the town in New England that Cotton Mathers and so many other immigrants had come from. When the bulk of the Puritans left Salem and Charlestown, it left resentment that they had not aided them in their struggles in any way. There would be lasting resentment and hostilities between these communities if they managed to survive. Six months after the arrival of those 1,000 Puritans, 200 had died, 200 more had returned back to England on any ship that came by, and Governor Winthrop gave orders to the last ship for the winter season heading back to instead return during winter with emergency provisions. He was asking the ship's captain to make a very dangerous Atlantic crossing. But with supplies running out, most of the colony living in cloth tent huts, like so many other initial English colonies, they began their first winter waiting helplessly for the winter storms to set in. And winter did come, harsher than any of them had known back in England, snow as tall as men. Winthrop would comment about these times. God had only stripped us of our vainness to wholly rely on himself. The Puritans were determined by this struggle to prove their faith and conviction to God. They intended to fulfill their part of the covenant to build this new Jerusalem. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating. And share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.